Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. In this episode, we're going to examine three things that you can do to improve your life instantly. The first one will be in the domain of compliments. We've touched on this briefly in the past, but I would like you to all remember that if you can remember the golden rule of compliments, and that's to do the third person compliment, and that is let other people know that you appreciate someone else, because this is just so powerful. If you've ever felt this before, if you've ever heard somebody give you a compliment from a third-person perspective, it's just absolutely amazing, and it creates nothing but wonderful feelings and adoration towards the person who said that towards you. So third-person compliments, if you're not doing it, try it. Make sure you do it for at least a month, and it's enough to set off enough little trails so that you're going to get back far more than you ever gave. And not only that, it feels kind of good. It, it gets you out of your own headspace. It gets you out of your own box and puts you in a place where you're giving to others. And it has its own rewards in that sense. The second part about compliments is learning to accept compliments. As I touched on briefly on the trigger episode, make sure that you set up a trigger. Anytime someone compliments you, if you go and deflect it or say it's nothing or or try and act humble or, or whatever it is, often that'll probably be the last compliment that you get or you'll find that you get very few of them. Because put it this way, you go out and you try and compliment someone and you're doing it because one, you appreciate it, but two, the the interaction, the relationship of giving a compliment is so powerful. And if you give a compliment to someone and they just deflect it, well, they've just kind of ruined it in some ways. So learn how to accept compliments and then you'll watch that your relationships get better. And finally on compliments, remember to try and compliment people that you can't get anything from them. All too often we we go up and we compliment our bosses or or our friends, or people that have some degree of influence on us. And unconsciously, or maybe even consciously, we want something in return. Even as I said, the third person compliment, often when I teach this, we talk about getting something in return, although there's a deeper level to it. If you can compliment other people that you just don't get any derived benefit from, then amazing pay it forward aspect that you probably won't see but you will know and you know it just hearing this that it will ring true if you were the recipient of somebody who's complimented you and you didn't even know the person you'll never see them again it's something that just changes your day because we all get compliments from people who love us but from strangers who never see you again who you will get give nothing to them for that that's kind of a special experience. So I urge you to try that experience. So that's section one. Section two is make sure you're assertive. We all think that we're assertive and often we are, but it's often situational dependent. 
as I mentioned in the episode on self-confidence, it's to do with the domain of which area you're competent in. But we can be assertive in all areas. We all just have to work on it. And it's based on one aspect, and that aspect is that of respect. You have to respect everybody, and you all know that. But this is the kicker. We don't do this. We have to really respect ourselves. And this particularly applies to relationships. We have to respect ourselves within a relationship. With other people, often we lose some respect in a way to just make the other person happy, to make our interactions seem easier. But by taking away our self-respect in those interactions, it's just going to drain all of the wonderful things that you do in your own time and it's just going to ruin everything. So make sure that you respect yourself. So if you're not there yet or if you want some help with it, I would start by just going to those people who get paid to talk to you. And I'm talking about guys like shopkeepers, these sort of things. And when you have interactions with these people, make sure that you're friendly and assertive. And you'll notice that if you start to speak at your rate and not theirs, and you speak up clearly and you're intentional with what you want, about 95% of the time, just everything is perfect. There is no problems. It's easy. Then if you get any attitude or anything that's uncomfortable, anything you're unprepared for, if you have some sort of trigger that's installed, as we mentioned before, and you come up with a, a, a remark like are you having a bad day or, or something humorous or whatever trigger that you've installed, that will take care of about the last 4% of things. It's very, very minimal. Most people are in the same boat. They actually don't want to give attitude. And if they do and they get some problem from it, they're just going to back off most of them. Now, finally, for the one percenters where they're really giving you attitude, then you have to have the step two trigger installed. And that's something akin to, can I speak to the manager or your supervisor or, or some other step? Like I said in the trigger episode, you have to set these up in advance because at the time you'll be using all your conscious faculties to navigate through the interactions, through your mental processes, and often we come up with things that we just wish we said later that day. We want to do it there and then. So install the triggers and do that. Now, the, what I've mentioned so far, it might sound uncomfortable, but if you don't do it, you're always going to have a low-grade level of being uncomfortable because you will go home and you'll say, I am that person who just can't deal with problems. I can't deal with social interactions. I can't stand up for myself. You have that metacognition where you think about your thoughts and over time you start to become weak, vulnerable and uncomfortable. Ultimately, Doing these things will actually bring you more comfort and success. And then as you pass through stage one of dealing with those who are paid to listen to you or talk to you, turn it up. Take it to stage two. Try and bring that assertiveness to all areas of your life. But graded exposure is so important. Make sure you do it one step at a time. Our first domain was compliments. Our second domain was being assertive. And our third domain 
is on service or helping others. Now, in regards to helping others, we've all been helped in the past and we know how important it is. But most of us either have one of two problems and that's either number one, we have our own heads so far up our butts that we just don't see the needs of others and we're just focused on ourselves that we just don't help others anyway. Or the second part is that we lack the assertiveness of domain two. And because of this, we go and we help other people, but we do it on their terms, not our own. So it actually makes us feel worse about ourselves. So what to do? Essentially, we have to be mindful and see other people's needs simply by just using empathy. Once you've got that, you have to see other people and watch what they need and help them on your terms. Make sure that if somebody's pressuring you, that you realize if you help them, it's going to be on your terms. You have to decide if you're going to say, yes, I'm going to help you, or no, you're pressuring me, I'm not. Once you do it on your terms, what follows is the most important, not the help that you give. And then once you've decided that you will help in the situations that you want to on your terms, just try and do it a bit more regularly. And this is tricky because most of us are just stuck in a place where we have good intentions. We might listen to a podcast or read a book and say, all right, I'm going to go out and help and change the world, pay it forward, whatever it is. But after the weeks or months go by, we say, oh, well, we did a couple and then it phased out. The way to get over this is to diarize it. That is to write down either daily or weekly or monthly projects where you have to go and help somebody with something. Now, if you find that you're at the end of the month and you're like, well, I haven't done my monthly goal of helping somebody, you can, number one, go out and be mindful and try and find a situation to help others. Or you can do something as little as going back to domain one and compliment other people. So you can see how these three aspects, complimenting, being assertive and service, all tie in together. And finally, just make sure that you do it with multiple people. Remember, if you do it on your terms, with good intentions, after a few months, it will probably become automatic. And not just that, you will feel better about yourself and it motivates you to carry it forward. So finally, just make sure that you're assertive with yourself, with other people that you respect yourself and others. And flowing from that strong power base, you go out and you compliment other people and that you give your time to help other people where you need to. And once you've done this, you will find that your life works so much better than it did before. A quick shout out to our new listeners, particularly from Podbean. If you have any questions, I can be reached via email. And if you like the podcast, I have a full book available at Amazon. Details are on my website. This episode has been a life-hacking one. Three things you can do to make drastic positive change. Essentially, compliments, being assertive, helping others. Done in the right way and by being intentional, it changes everything. Our next speaker is a coach who is here to share his story and tips on personal development. Welcome, Chris Waterguy. Hi, I'm Chris Waterguy. I'm a coach and speaker. And the main thing that I work on with clients and talk about with people in my seminars 
is procrastination. I'm the procrastination paramedic. Now, we probably haven't met, but I'm going to guess that uh, it's likely you've got something that's really important to you, but somehow you don't actually work on it, or you work on it late, or other things get in the way. It's a dream for you. It's something that you would love to be doing, something really important in your life. You want to work towards it. One day I want to fill in the blank. But somehow what you work on is stuff that's urgent, stuff that maybe is more important to someone else rather than what's important to you. If this is something that interests you, I'd, I'd love to give you something that could help to make sense of it, help you to have a, a better relationship with yourself and have some strategies that you can apply, like real world practical strategies. And I'm also going to invite you at the end to reach out to me to make contact, to have a conversation if that's something that you'd like to do. Now I'm going to tell you something of my story and I'm going to tell it to explain some of what I've learned, the way that I've struggled, that you may or may not relate to, uh, but what I've learned from that and how it affects the way I live now and how it affects the way I work with people and what I can contribute. So I want to go back to fourth grade. I was nine years old and we were given a homework diary for the first time. I went, okay, I was, I was nine. I wasn't thinking too deeply about this. And I was a fairly obedient kid. I, I didn't uh, get into too much trouble or rebel a whole lot. And so when they told me to write something in my homework diary, I wrote it in my homework diary. And I went home and I came back the next day and they said, take out your homework diary and look at the homework and bring out the homework that you've done as well. And I remember being kind of a bit confused and curious because I, I remember writing it in the diary, but I, then I took it home and it just didn't occur to me to pull out my homework diary and, and do anything. And at that point it was kind of confusion and I, I hadn't learned about sort of being guilty about these things yet. So it was a pattern that continued. And over time I, I got to learn words like lazy and, uh, I learned to develop guilt and I was given strategies like work harder. Uh, I was given strategies like stop being lazy. I don't know about you, but for me, those aren't actually strategies. They're, they're just ways of feeling bad about myself. And some of the other kids struggle as well, but most kids manage to kind of do their homework. They, they had an idea of what they were supposed to do and, and got through school that way. And for me, I, 
I kind of had a blessing and a curse that when I paid attention, I was really paying attention and I was interested in class. And so I actually did well at school, particularly in the tests, but I just couldn't get the hang of, of doing my work. And so that just reinforced this idea that, you know, you're lazy, you need to work harder, you need to be better organized, you need to uh, do better next time. But I mean, what, is, what does that even mean? I need to be better organized. I don't know what it is to be better organized because what I'm being is this person who's interested in everything, whose attention is easily taken up by something new. And um, so the advice just, it, it wasn't really advice at all. And what that meant was that I... I really struggled through school. It, it really affected my quality of life. Uh, I felt stressed. Uh, but at the same time, I was doing well enough that I was, I was still interested and engaged and managed to go to university and uh, kind of enjoyed that, but struggled, enjoyed it in part, but really struggled with, with assignments. By the time I was doing third year engineering, I was just... It was just crushing me, but and so for the first time in my life, I was I was getting pass marks uh, and and just scraping through. But I went back and did a did water engineering. Um, that's part of the reason that I choose the name Water Guy. Um, the other reason is that there's too many Chris Watkinses in the world, so you can find Chris Water Guy. Uh, but anyway, I studied. I studied water engineering and I was engaged and interested and I did much better, but I still had these problems with getting, like I do all the research and do all the reading. It's so interesting. But then the difficult part was writing and it just felt like such a drag and so difficult to start. So I got through, I eventually got through. But it left me with this sense that somehow I was morally lacking. There was something defective in my character that I couldn't make myself work. Now, in the end, I did finish. I got my master's degree. I really enjoyed the process of writing my final project, this thesis that was sort of in-depth and looked into culture and technology and how they related and, and sort of language of Indonesia and how that related to local water technology and loved it. But the process of writing it felt like it was killing me. Uh, and so I, I went out with the, with the degree, but without any confidence in my ability to, to follow through, to, to manage a project, to... Uh, to commit to something and follow through and do it. And so it really meant that I, I had motivation for some things, but it was unreliable. Like if I, if something felt difficult, I didn't have a way to, to manage that. And so I just didn't get things done. And that meant that life was stressful and I missed opportunities. Uh, it contributed to depression along with a lot of other things, but it contributed to just feeling down about life and myself. I missed out on uh, scholarships. I never did the PhD. I, I missed out on job opportunities and experiences and financial opportunities and 
you know, of course, when something's affecting your whole life like that, you also miss out on opportunities for relationships and the, the confidence to get out there and create connections with people. So I, I don't know how much of this you relate to, but for me, the cost was enormous. Uh, I don't want to say that it was all bad. I had some great experiences along the way, being the, the, the curious person that was, was sort of engaged in the moment. Uh, I, I could at times get out of that, that cycle and just get out and do things and do things that I was engaged with. And I spent years living in a completely different culture, learning languages, uh, traveling, meeting inspiring people and working on projects that inspired me. Uh, they had to inspire me, otherwise I just couldn't get the work done. But it, that, that was great. I loved it. And I, I still love that, but we'll get into that. Uh, I learned that I, I have powerful attention. I just don't have the power. I didn't have the power to direct the attention where I needed it to be. And so I was really, uh, by, by continuing to adopt this frame of you know, don't be lazy, work harder, get organized, and looking at standard self-help advice and, and trying to follow it and not actually finding that it worked for me. Uh, what, what happened was I, I was really, it's like I was trying to force the round peg of my own bundle of strengths and untamed weaknesses into this square hole of conventional work life and business and societal expectations. And that led to a lot of stress and it led to some very costly mistakes, both financially and personally, and in terms of the, the positive impact that I wanted to have. And it really came to a head when I was in my early 40s. Sort of, I'd been doing all these interesting things and I picked up this really interesting work writing about environmental technologies. And I, I could do the research, but actually writing about it was incredibly difficult. So at, uh, at one point, I set myself up in a room uh, on the island of Penang in Malaysia. And I just stayed in this, in this room for a month and I sort of locked myself away for hours at a time in order to write. And I, I said that, okay, if I don't manage to write, I'm going to follow up with what my brother suggested to me. He suggested that he and I both have ADHD, that it was just you know, undiagnosed because it, we, we grew up at a time when people weren't paying attention to that. And that made sense, but I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to lock myself away, try to write. And I, I, it was ridiculous. I still couldn't do it. It felt ridiculous to me. And that's when I went and I sought professional advice, got diagnosed with ADHD. And of course, the first thing they did was prescribe me medication. Uh, interesting experience. It, it's something that can be really transformative for a lot of people. I have clients who take medication and they find it makes a, a big difference. Other people find that maybe it helps them focus, but they're still not focusing on the right things or they, they have physical side effects. Uh, for me, it, it wasn't the, the right answer for me, but certainly at that time. So what I really needed was behavioral strategies. I needed ways of actually working with my strengths and uh, compensating for my weaknesses 
or, or understanding what my weaknesses actually represented. And I got a little bit of that through the, the medical process, but nowhere near enough. It was very, very basic. And the, the, the light bulb moment for me was realizing that, well, of course, there's been books written about this. There are, are loads of books written for people with ADHD that's specific to people with uh, my sort of challenges. And so that was a realization. Not, it's not one recipe for everyone. And I still love the first book that I ever read on the topic, and that was called ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life. I, I would recommend that to anyone that feels like they struggle with, uh, with being organized, with paying attention, with getting things done, with losing things, forgetting things, whatever. It actually, and, and this has been a key thing uh, that, that led me into work that I'm doing, you don't need a diagnosis of ADHD. You, you don't need to be as extreme as I was or as someone else was. You don't need to have the same mix of symptoms. Like, these strategies work for, for anyone who needs them. And so ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life, great book, gave me approaches like just helping, helping you to really focus in on a simple to-do list and I, I still use and I still recommend to clients having colored post-it notes, larger post-it notes and using a felt tip pen, maybe different colors and uh, writing the, the important to do's out really clearly on that. And it just really just helps with orienting my attention towards the thing that I want to focus on that. So I've taken time to write it out, decide what's important. And then rather than forgetting it and doing something else, I've got it there clearly written where I'll see it uh, and written in a bold, attention-grabbing way. Fantastic. Uh, the other thing there was out of sight, out of mind. So insight in mind. Uh, that's applied in the post-it note method felt tip pen that I mentioned. It also works with how you organize your room, where you keep things that you maybe you need to work on or that you need to have access to. If it's put away, it needs the, the box needs to be labeled or maybe the drawer is labeled or it's like really clear where it is. Uh, don't expect to have a filing system that's super organized the way that it might be for other people. Like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But maybe open storage, using clear plastic containers for things, uh, clear labels, all of these things really make a difference. Having a launching pad uh, is another thing from that book. I was already kind of doing this. I'd worked out some, some of my own coping strategies, but having a specific point like near the front door or at the uh, exit to your bedroom or something like that, a place where you put things that you're going to use, that you're going to take with you when you go. So there's all of these kind of things. And there's other books, uh, of course, lots of books. I particularly appreciated finding uh, Professor Timothy Pitchell, who runs the Pro Procrastination Research Group in Canada. He's been a great resource to me, uh, really influences how I understand my work and how I help people. Uh, studying life coaching, of course, has been a great 
personal growth experience because you need to work on yourself before you can help others. And so where I'd like to go from here is to, to give you a few specific things to, to keep in mind going forward. Now, a lot of this comes from uh, Professor Pitchell's work, but it also I've drawn from a lot of other places as well as my own experience working with clients. Uh, and I, I have the good fortune to, to work with clients who sometimes are researchers, like in neuroscience or psychology. And, and so I get to learn from my clients as well as uh, from other people. I have other clients who are entrepreneurs or professionals or whatever. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I'm working with researchers, it's, uh, it just adds a different level of understanding to the work, which uh, which has been really valuable. So I want to share some of that with you now. And where I want to start is understanding that procrastination is not about time management. It's about emotion management. When you're procrastinating, you are fleeing from something, you're avoiding something. That's the feeling. It's not about the time. You can You can find time for something if you're really engaged and emotionally connected and it's there's a positive feeling there if there's guilt if there's sort of frustration if if there's some ambiguity lack of clarity all of these things stop you moving forward so with that as the background the the first suggestion is replace guilt with curiosity replace guilt with curiosity. Uh, it's taking your attention uh, away from yourself, like by, by actually being curious about the thing that you want to be working on and thinking, well, huh, what would be the, the very first thing that I do, for example? Just, just thinking about it in a curious way uh, takes, takes that attention away from the difficult place into a place of interest. It's a, it's a more compassionate place, helps you feel better and actually helps you do the work. Uh, beating yourself up does the opposite. So curiosity is, is so powerful. The next thing is find what works for you. Uh, be careful of the word should. If you feel like you should be able to do something in a certain way like other people do, uh, well, Maybe that's not right for you. Maybe you need to find a different way to do it. Find a way to make it as easy as possible. Like, it's, um, it's a great success when you can make something easier. So it's, it's not a moral victory to do something the hard way and sweat it out and go through the hard feelings and everything. Eh, if it, if it works better for you to, to put great music on and do it, if it, if it helps you dance uh, while you clean, if, if that helps you actually get the house clean, fantastic, do it. Uh, if, you, if you find that working with another person uh, and as an accountability buddy or what we sometimes call a body double, just having someone else there who's also doing something or just, just there in the same room with you, helps you do the work, fantastic, do it. Like find the things that work for you. And, and that will be different for different people, like some people. Uh, Gretchen Rubin has, has really clarified this in a, 
in a beautiful way, but some people respond to external expectations, and so they might be an obliger who uh, who operates really well with accountability. Uh, other people might actually really react negatively to that or be indifferent to it. And so in those cases, accountability may or may not be helpful, but having a sense of meaning, whether that's social meaning or a sense of enjoyment or a really clear idea of the end goal, these things are important. So, if, And there's ways of connecting with that, which you know, we could talk about another time, but uh, understanding what works for you is what will help you to to get engaged with the work and getting clear third point get clear enough to take action David Allen in the getting things done methodology talks about the next physical action that, that's such a powerful idea because we can get caught up in breaking things down you've got to chunk it down so you know every step and that's that might work for you or you might get caught up in uh, in overanalyzing analysis paralysis. So break it down enough, but then the bit that you really want to break down and be really clear on, make really small, is the next physical action. What is it? Is it sitting at the desk? Is it opening the computer? Is it opening a document? Is it making sure that you have the equipment there? Is it going to the room where you need to tidy? Is it getting some boxes? What's your next physical action? Get clear. Fourth and final point, know that as human beings, we are not great at making predictions. And where it really matters for us here is when you find yourself needing to do something and deciding, oh, actually, no, I'll do it tomorrow. There's an implicit prediction there. I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. Yeah, for for a lot of people listening, this is going to to resonate. We we have this all the time. Ah, oh, tomorrow I'll feel more like it tomorrow. Ah, oh, today I'm tired. This happened. That happened. I'm feeling emotional, and that's all understandable. Particularly if we haven't had yet developed that skill of being self compassionate, noticing the emotion, and moving into curiosity. But what we need to understand is that putting it off till tomorrow is, is not actually the solution. Uh, so instead, find a way to move into curiosity today and to create that uh, clarity about your next physical action today, even if it's a tiny step, just some way of getting started. The other thing that we really aren't good at predicting is what the experience is going to be like when we actually do the thing. We we generally think it's going to be awful, uh, but once we get started, it's, oh, this isn't so bad. Why didn't I start this earlier? Uh, it's not taking as long as I thought, or maybe it's maybe it's taking time, but it's... Like, I have a sense of satisfaction about making progress. So knowing that once you once you're actually in it, it's actually not going to be so bad, it's going to be satisfying, is a helpful thing to remind ourselves of. Now, yeah, there's times when when we do still find it hard, and that's when it's great to to call on extra resources, uh, find help, find a different strategy, uh, find different ways of working. 
but by and large we can find a way of of actually getting into it that is feels a lot better than procrastination procrastination is actually hard work sitting around feeling bad about the thing we're not doing that's not fun so give those a try uh, and know that actually there's an illustration i really like here uh, elias yudkowski is one of my favorite writers and he talks about a getting started as and that resistance of getting started as being like a wall that's a mile high 10 miles wide and paper thin once you actually go through the wall it's it doesn't seem so daunting anymore it's that sort of lack of clarity that comes from inaction that leads to all those negative feelings so if you can take some part of that away and and start applying it today or tomorrow morning uh, this this will really make a difference to you if you can replace guilt with curiosity if you find strategies that work for you stop trying to force yourself to do things the way other people do and allow yourself to have the you know, the distraction free space the uh, the environment that helps you the the support that helps you and understanding your own needs getting clear enough to take your next physical action understanding that uh, the predictions we're making about doing it later eh, they're, they're probably not good predictions and and so thinking about that differently it's going to help i i would love to hear from you about what's helped you here uh, from from this and i'd love to hear what you've tried and if you if you'd like to talk about this or about any of the other things that that i work with uh, communication, connection, learning. Uh, if you're just interested in talking about the other work that I do, the science communication projects, and which, which I haven't even had a chance to talk about today, uh, just feel free to reach out. I, I write about these things more on my website, which is procrastinationparamedic.com. And you can always find me online by looking for Chris Waterguy. Uh, just Google that, I'll show up and um, or, or on social media what i've spoken about here just scratches the surface if you want to go deeper uh, yeah look me up get in touch i'd love to hear from you and uh, so website again procrastinationparamedic.com if you want to reach out via email it's chris at chriswaterguy.com that's not what a guy uh, I've, I've had that mistake because of my uh, accent, but uh, Chris Water, like what you drink, chriswaterguy.com. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com.